Avengers, Assassins and Echoes. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never, ever read a Marvel comic before in his life watches a Marvel movie, or in this case, TV show, and then quizzes another comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read using Marvel comics. Welcome to the episode on Echo. My name is Rob Haldon. I'm a uh, comedian, I'm a writer, and I'm also the Marvel expert on the show, but... I can't do this on my own. I'm joined by the man whose ignorance powers everything we do. He's a very ignorant boy. It's Will Preston. <laughs> yes, my ignorance does power this. Uh, yeah. Not in a good way or good direction. No, in, in a positive way. Positive way. Oh, you're Ignorance is positive as long as you go, I'm ignorant. Please teach it, me. And that's it, what the show is. It is, in fact, bliss. It's the yin Ray. and the yang of the Marvel experience. You know, yes. we've got tons of people out there that have never read a Marvel comic, but they love the movies and the Disney Plus shows. And then mm. there's a few, a handful of decrepit old trolls like me <laughs> who grew up in the dark reading comics. Um, and together we embark upon the Marvel journey um, and get to uh, experience things in two very unique and different ways and pull apart all the history and trivia of, uh, of these characters that have captured the world. Coming up on today's Echo episode, we go behind the scenes on the making of the very latest Disney Marvel show and how it's become an important milestone moment in the history of the MCU. We'll go behind the page on the creation of Maya Lopez and how she joined the Avengers. We'll explore Maya's powers and abilities in the comics, which of her family members is also a superhero, sort of, her relationship with Daredevil, her connection to Ronin, and how she caused the downfall of Wilson Fisk. It's going to be a wonderful big episode today. Um... I know we both enjoyed uh, watching the TV show and getting into it, and not a, not a series, not a character we expected to get their own series. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was surprised by it, but I mean, she even made an the, impression. Even on the back of of Hawkeye, I I I didn't think that this felt like a natural occurrence to me, you know. Mm. Um. But but I'm very pleased we got to. We've got some really cool stuff to dig into. Absolutely. Um, you might be hearing adverts on this episode as you listen to us. The sound of the podcast has changed a little bit as we uh, bring adverts into Marvel versus Marvel. You can get ad-free versions of the show by heading to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. All our main shows um, get released on Patreon first three days ahead of schedule, three days ahead of the normal release, and they're all ad-free on there. Um, and you know what? We've got something really exciting coming to Patreon uh, very, very soon. Next month, in fact. Movies are coming to Patreon. Ooh. So far, our bonus episodes have been deep dives into comic book stories, but we've decided to expand that a little bit and experiment with doing a, a full show, but exclusive to Patreon. We're going to tackle... Uh, the DC universe first. Um, Some that people have been, you know, are you ever going to get around to this? And are you going to get around to that? And, you know, we're focused on Marvel on the main show, but I think perhaps it's time to punish both Will and myself. <laughs> uh, we Next month, um, the month of March, we're going to be diving into, um, on the bonus show on Patreon, Superman versus Batman, Dawn <laughs> of Justice, Zack Snyder's DC verse. Um, pulled apart by Rob and Will, just like we do any of the main main shows. And uh, so sign up now, sign up now, sign up today, um, so that you've got um, plenty of time to experience 
the uh, <laughs> the two of us going into the Snyderverse, Dawn of Justice, Martha. <laughs> We're going to cover it all. <laughs> all the Marthas. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. <laughs> we have now to go into a very dangerous barren area. Don't go in alone. <laughs> Take a friend with you. Take a weapon with you. A torch, a flaming torch will help because we're going into the dark recesses of the mind of a man that knows nothing at all. Will pressed in the mind of a muggle so we can more accurately get a handle on the, the ying to my yang. Um, will... <laughs> Well, it wasn't that mean. It wasn't as Here mean we are, as it usually crawling is. on our bellies, commando Don't, style, no. through your darkened tunnels. Dark- um, yeah, so, um, obviously Echo is a character that I know very well from the comics, but because you've never read a comic, you would only know Maya Lopez from the Hawkeye series. So let's rewind the clock. Um, I adored that Hawkeye series. I thought it was... I, it might be my favorite of the of the of the Marvel shows. I, I really, One really of the loved it. Ones for sure, yeah. How did you feel about um, the introduction of that character in Hawkeye? And how did you feel about the announcement then that this, there's going to be a spin-off from Hawkeye, mm. and that it was going to be the character of Maya Lopez? Well, I remember, my first impressions of her in Hawkeye uh, mm-hmm. were positive. I thought, oh, you know, she seems cool. She's badass, and uh, you know, the whole uh, death thing is quite interesting and and having the fake fake leg was interesting as well and it, it just you know she, she she's basically a similar kind of character say like black widow or something like that you know she's a kick-ass kick-ass lady yeah yeah and, she, and when they the series got announced i wasn't that thrilled <laughs> because i thought really I, yeah i know I, I i you know I, I thought you know i'll watch it but i, I was going like ah, i don't know can, can she carry a whole series on her own but then i saw the trailer for it and i went oh, okay i'm one over this is going to be great this is going to be good. Real, yeah. Yeah. yeah what yeah, What about yeah. the trailer leapt out to you and spoke to you and made you feel that then? It looked like, I mean, it, it obviously, you know, it, it looked like it was going to be a lot of fun and, you know, stuff. But it, but it's, I think the main appeal for me was that they're getting back to that uh, gritty Defenders-esque Netflix uh, feel that I felt they, they, they've moved a bit far away from it. And, and I'm hoping that when the new, the new Daredevil series is coming out, retains that same gritty feel. So it gave that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I think um, for myself personally, yeah, I, <clears throat> I wasn't particularly interested in this series until the announcement that we're going to get Fisk yep. and we're going to get Daredevil, and then it's th- then it became very interesting to me because very. I felt like this one character on her own, and I, I don't know how like what without other Marvel characters attached to it. I don't know. It's it would be like watching a Netflix series, a drama about you know there are plenty of other shows that can be about um, you know someone that's trying to break free from organized crime in their past and mm. they've got a complicated family and blah 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 blah. There's plenty of dramatic crime shows like that out there. Yeah. I don't watch all of them. I only watch ones that I think are going to be really really good. I'm not sure this had that steam. I'm much more interested in seeing. TV shows and dramas about Marvel characters because I really like those characters. I'm connected to yeah. them. So 
to begin with when it was announced, I kind of went, ha, ah, okay. It's because they announced it's going to be kind of solo and it wasn't mm. going to be really tied into what's going on in the movies and stuff. I was sour on that. I was, an, or <laughs> I was, I was cool to it. I wasn't th- that excited. Yeah. But then, then it changed. It became, oh, we, you know, D'Onofrio's back and Charlie Cox is back and, and it's going to, and, and I really liked that because mm. we, we've looked at the, Daredevil Netflix series, we both loved that, thought it was incredible. Um, <clears throat> want more of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm not sure that I, I... I'm not sure I picked up that it was going to be more gritty or adult. I, maybe just the presence of Wilson Fisk said that to you, but I, I don't know. I wasn't sure. Well, um, I, I, got, I, got, I got the impression from the trailer because it looked like a yeah. crime drama rather than another superhero thing so that's that's what's been interesting with the uh, tv shows the genre the genres have been a bit uh like one thing to another because you've got she hulk you've got uh the falcon and the winter soldier you got one was more like a, that was like an action movie one's like an action one division movie. was i don't know how you, what you class one division as it was it, surrealist uh fantasy drama or whatever only ever so slightly surreal at the start yeah surreal at the start um, it stopped and then yeah and then of course you've had you had uh what was it was what was the first one i said i forgot <laughs> the first tv show she hulk oh she hulk which was just which was uh, like a comedy alan McBeal thing which is really great fourth wall breaking self-aware meta show yeah yeah so you've got all these different things and it's it's great that, you, that they're, they're they're moving towards that gritty it's showing that yes we're disney but we can still do this we can still yeah because this. we haven't really had that have we i mean no. you think of loki um what are the other tv shows that we've had um we've had loki we've had um oh god what else have we had yeah falcon winter soldier one division uh loki um and the, the, none of those have like to your point this this kind of crime element to it or this kind of yeah this kind of crime drama um yeah, I overlooked that, and um, that's, a, that's a great point on your part. And do you think, like, on the back of this, do you think you're excited for more Mayor Lopez? Were you, you know, is it an Echo Series 2, something you're looking forward to, or...? I I don't know if I could... If, if I, I, I prefer her popping up or teaming up, uh, you know, peeing more prominently in the films and stuff uh, in the future or in other stuff. I don't know if I'd be uh, thrilled about a second season. Yeah, I know what you mean. Mm. Like I, I'm not. Sure, I wasn't sure going into this if there was enough. I, I, I figured it was going to be about her past. I yeah. wasn't sure if she was going to have enough story to carry a series. You know, as the as the lead character wise, not performance wise. Mm. The actor was great, um, and I was um, really surprised. Not really surprised, but I I enjoyed that it did all work out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wonder if we've kind of. Like, have we mined everything there is to um, about Echo? Let's find out. Let's see. Will, you're Mr. Hollywood. Take us behind the scenes on on the making of this Echo series for Disney. Okay, so first of all, uh, Echo is the first series under the Marvel Spotlight banner. In November 2023, Marvel Studios announced their Marvel Spotlight banner for select series that focus on more grounded character-driven stories and are less about impacting the larger MCU narrative. Marvel hopes that the spotlight will indicate to audiences that unlike shows like her WandaVision, you don't need to watch any other MCU projects to understand the series. For spotlight projects, Marvel created a new opening logo with a musical fanfare composed by Michael Giacchino. 
that's really interesting. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if that if that was emphasised much. No, um, I never. Beforehand. I didn't know about that at all. Yeah, and perhaps we just missed that announcement. And I'm not like one division. Like you can watch Echo, having not seen Hawkeye, yeah. and it will tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, but I think the same can be said for a lot of these shows. Yeah, like they 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 explain through context and action and dialogue the backstory and the history. Hmm. I, I think this has as much of a connection to like the Hawkeye series and and stuff as I don't know maybe One Division did to. The Infinity War movie, the Endgame movie, whatever. I, I'm not sure. Um, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting approach. I think. Uh, do you think that this is perhaps like a reaction? <laughs> I was to, just about to say that <laughs> to people that are now feeling the 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 court of public opinion yeah. has swung from woo wee continuity is incredible it's the reason we love all the avengers movies the yeah. infinity stuff that's incredible it's now swung to continuity is a bad and stupid idea that keeps I, us away from projects i knew i just which knew, i don't believe but i knew you were going to say it. yeah this is the thing i i've had discussions about this and it's like people say oh it's really annoying because i have to watch all these stuff like no you don't you don't have to watch everything you can just go online <coughs> and read a paragraph that's fine. You can do that. And I remember saying to someone about uh, Doctor Strange, t- uh, Multiverse of Madness, someone was saying, oh, but I, haven't, I haven't seen WandaVision. I don't feel I should have to watch an entire TV show just to get a film. I was saying, you don't have to. In fact, when I showed my mum uh, Multiverse of Madness, I, before the film, I just said, oh, quickly. Uh, and I, I, I summed up everything she needed to know that happened in WandaVision in 10 seconds. And the movie does the same. Yes. <laughs> the dialogue tells you what happened. Yes. Um, it's, oh, it, it annoys but, me because it's such a bad faith argument. It's such... Yeah. It's but, like but, they're looking but, for an excuse to go, like, oh, I don't want to watch anymore. Then don't. They, you, they are. They, you could just you don't have to come man. up with a legitimate reason. Or, 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 actually, no. no. A legitimate reason is you don't fancy it. Fine. You don't have to have this objective reason. You just say, oh, I just don't, don't fancy it. But it's not about it's not about personal taste. They have to make it. I am right about a topic, mm. and it is bad. You don't have to. It be is right. a bad thing, and you're you know you're stupid for enjoying. That's what people have to make oh, it about, rather than that. I don't get that. I have to, I have to win at this game of personal taste. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's peculiar. But I think yeah. that perhaps Marvel are trying are having to react to. A perception rather than a reality. If that's people's perceptions, perhaps they can win people back. Um, that being said, I don't know if they're. I don't think they're losing viewers or anything. They, but there we go. No, they. I don't. I don't think they're losing viewers. I just think the only thing that's happening recently is they uh, aren't getting the high scores on Rotten Tomatoes uh, they used to, and some some things aren't making as much money. They're spending too much money. Spending Look at the money, Sony yeah. the Sony movies coming out in 2024 are the movies to what? Like, not that I think they're going to be good, but these are all movies that are spending barely over $100 million. <laughs> They're all going to make their money back. Like, they just are. <laughs> like... <laughs> The Venom no, like, movies yeah. make eight hundred million, and they cost like a hundred and twenty. Yeah, it's a good investment. And that used to be the model. That used and to then be. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's this ridiculous thing of movies costing two hundred to three hundred million on on, and and that, yeah. that if it's going to be like Endgame, 
I fine. There's a lot invested in it, and there's loads of people in it. Okay, but when it's like I don't know Eternals or whatever it might be, movies I enjoyed, but yeah. or, or the second Black Panther movie, I'm thinking. Are you going to get that money back? Does it does it need to be a two hundred and eighty million dollar movie? Yeah, for I, I think there's that. A lot, I mean, there is a lot of that, and I think people are using that as something another thing to cling on to and go, "Ha, they're losing money. I'm right to not like this." And it's like, no, it's just because they're, they're spending too much money. They're not, you know. Does does do, does the failure of the latest Mission Impossible movie mean that people are sick of? action spy movies now it's not a genre failing it's a lot of bad business by hollywood studios yeah because um, there's a di- reason tom yeah. cruise broke away from the the production it's, it's gone off to have a sign a whole new deal with another company because he he just hated the fact that they they wedged him in between like after barbie or it was in a very didn't give him enough time at the cinema yeah like there's all those decisions can make it but the fact that you know indiana jones and the the latest indiana jones movie <laughs> spent way too much money and thus wasn't profitable on the other end 300 million that cost and oh it's man. insane yeah oh. and so so we get a craven movie that's going to cost about 100 million we get a madden web movie 100 million Venom three is going to cost a bit more because it's Venom. Yeah, right. But that those movies are all going to. I I I I don't know. There's a chance for a Morbius because they've had a Morbius before, haven't they? Yeah. Um, we're off topic. Sorry, please, please I, I carry I, on. I, with I was Echo. really enjoying this. I'm putting my Mister Hollywood hat back on again. So, in December 2020, Alacqua Cox uh, was announced as having been cast as the Marvel Comics character Maya Lopez slash Echo in Marvel Studios Disney Plus series Hawkeye. During the Disney Plus Day event in November 2021, the spin-off series was officially announced as Echo and Marion Dare was serving as head writer. Dare previously wrote for the Breaking Bad spin-off series Better Call Saul. A great pedigree there then. Great pedigree. This this is what I like when they get they they bring in Someone who's not experienced the superhero stuff, though, but they they bring something else into the mix. It's like whenever we talked about uh, writers at Marvel like uh Chris, Chris Claremont bringing uh social politics and stuff into the X-Men bring someone out with other experience outside of superhero and action stuff you're going to get something a bit richer anyway yeah you don't you don't need experience with superhero stuff to write this Echo series do you nope on bringing her previous writing experience to the show Daya said there were several instances where we talked about character development in the vein of Better Call Saul Marvel were very familiar with the Better Call Saul characters. We were all like, let's make Echo a grounded character story and something that is different from what we've seen before. Let's really let Maya tell her truth. So, of course, that really spoke to me after coming from uh, Vince uh, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, Peter, Gould, Peter, uh, Peter Gould's camp. They were the uh, co-creators of Better Call Saul. In March 2022, Sidney Freeland was announced as a director of the Echo series. Freeland would direct five of the six episodes with Catriona McKenzie directing the action heavy third episode due to experience directing action based shows like The Walking Dead, Supernatural and Shadow Hunters. Sydney Freeland's previous direct, uh, directing credits include Reservation Dogs, Star Trek New World and Fear the Walking Dead. I um I was a big fan of the action scenes in in, in this series. Yes. Um I thought they like I don't think we, the 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 Marvel the Disney Marvel stuff isn't held up in as high regard as the Netflix Marvel stuff was in terms of yeah. fight scenes, um, but they did fantastic jobs with um, the two two pretty big fight scenes in this movie. 
they, they they really did. I mean, we'll get on, we'll get on to a bit more details about uh, the third episode in particular. But I mean, there was a bit with the train. There was a bit with Daredevil. There was some really really kick ass stuff. The, the, the roller rink. <laughs> That's incredible. The roller in fight is brilliant. That's that's, that's the one, yeah. And direction-wise, and I don't know how much, you know, the cinematography, I mean, some of this is the location, um, which looks great, but the cinematography, some some of the establishing shots, um, which might all be second unit, I don't know, but the the cinematography of some of these um, shots on on the the wonderful Oklahoma um, landscapes and and the the town were really, really, um, I don't know what they were, evocative of a kind of like... um, because part it feels like the show is about uh, to a certain extent like there's nothing happening here, which is how crime gets to grow and spread. Yes, and there's kind there of no is. one around. We're not in Manhattan. We don't have you know you know cops and FBI and superheroes running around. And and I kind of I, I felt it, it projected a sense of like isol not isolation but. Yeah, distance and the kind of rural energy. No, I, I get that. It, it was it was nice to be out of New York and had a different feel, had like a, almost like a Western yeah. feel in places, so I loved it. Freeland pitched herself to Marvel Studios boss Kevin Feige by recalling how she grew up reading Marvel comics and attending powwows. I've read comic books at powwows. For sure, I've probably fallen asleep reading comic books at powwows, but those two things never overlapped. So to have those things come together, to have the kingpin at a powwow, it is a very surreal experience. You would think that with you think with Marvel that the restrictions and the parameters would be even greater. But I would say I've had the most creative freedom on this show than any TV show that I've done to date. I was extremely fortunate. I felt absolutely empowered and creatively protected. I was free to put my stamp on this. It's impressive to hear that when we hear how restrictive the movies can be. Yeah. But I, I suppose Echo and even the Kingpin and even Daredevil aren't multi-hundred million, billion dollar um, characters. You know, they're not trying to protect movies that are going to... You know, you don't have to protect Wilson Fisk because it's not Spider-Man. It's not, you know, Mm. Captain America or whatever, or Iron Man. So perhaps they just go, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Speaking about the episode, about episode three's roller rink fight scene, episode director Catriona McKenzie said, I had an idea. And that moment just came together so beautifully. Is a native woman who's interfacing with a shoot 'em up Western game. Episode- oh, the bit where she gets. I love that. We'll talk about it later. I love that scene. Okay, okay. Episode very three, cool. three was a bit of a bottle episode, so I did have a lot of autonomy. Being able to bring all those resources to bear is just so awesome. No one said, no. No one said, stop, you're crazy. So he just kept going. The roller rink had been bought as a key location by production. There were no sets. There was some structural stuff we had to uh, shore up in in the space. It's an actual skate rink in Georgia. We demolished part of it and had to make sure it was engineered to not fall down. One of the first things I did when I got down to Georgia is watch Alequa Cox train. She's so athletic and she just got better and better. We would design stunts that were easier for her to do, but I was so proud of her. She was awesome. Yeah, they bought a roller rink. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, I mean, demolished it, half of it and then built a whole bunch of stuff movie make uh, movie making to making can be really cool sometimes man i i like this because you know you get you always get that meme like like oh watching the next marvel film and it's just them in a green screen room or something i, I think, think that's what perhaps really appealed about this is that yeah. the, the the much like the netflix shows they felt like there was no green screen in this i'm sure yeah. there was a little bit here and there but it, it, you know, it, uh, by and large, it was sets and locations. Yeah, no, I, I, I really got that. 
Maya Lopez is uh, <clears throat> in 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 the I can't pronounce this word because in indigenity in in. Indigenity, perhaps. I've not come across that as a word before either. I had to go through this document and make sure I could pronounce all the names and everything fine. And then I get tripped up on this word. (laughs) (laughs) It's reimagined for the MCU. Having her uh, be a member of the Choctaw tribe in Oklahoma rather than being from the Blackfeet Nation as in the comics. Uh, Director Sidney Freeland explained that Maya's background in the comics amounted to a hodgepodge of Native American imagery that made for a muddied and ultimately inauthentic backstory for the character. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bunch of uh, white people who just are just, do you know what I mean? They don't really, they've not really done much research and they're just going, this. (laughs) And I think that's probably what it was. Yeah. Writer Stephen P. Judge uh, is a uh, Choctaw from Oklahoma and he was able to bring authenticity to the writing of Maya's new background and upbringing. The Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, along with advisors from the organization Illuminative, were consulted on the representation of Choctaw culture, legends, and history portrayed in the series. The various department heads were able to travel to the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma to learn more about the language and culture of the Choctaw, as well as experience it firsthand while attending a powwow. It did. It, it certainly. I mean, it's, it's different. It, having no knowledge of the culture um, or, or the legends or anything like that, mm. I, I was watching this going, I really hope this is all like. I don't know why, but like, ah, I wonder if it's authentic. I wonder if this is. Yes. Like, real. I wonder if they've done proper research on this because it all felt. It had a, a, a feel of authenticity to it, yeah. but like you don't know, do you? If, if you if you if you haven't had that, haven't exposed yourself to that culture. Well, it was like uh, when we when we went uh, through Black Panther and mm. surprised at how much research was done and how yeah. much creativity was done with influence of genuine stuff, and it was incredible. I mean, yeah, they they really they really did their research. <laughs> Speaking as a white guy, they definitely did their research. Yeah, I have no idea, but, but I mean, it's no nice idea. to find out they did. It's nice to find out, but yeah, but it, it felt like you could tell it's authentic because they're not resorting to tropes. I think that's the way you, you from as an outsider, you get that feeling. If they're yeah, not resorting to tropes, right. you go, ah, and they... they there's sort of nuance to it. You go, ah, yeah, like what would the the, the um the finding out about the uh, the Choctaw um indigenous lawmen that I was like, that's a movie. I want to see that movie. Yes, that yes. just roamed around the West, kind of making sure that there was no rule breaking and they were protecting their own people and everything. That was cool as anything. I forget what they were called. Oh, I, f- I forget. But wind. Ah, I mean, that was awesome though. I was like, that's a really cool action concept. Incredibly so. In trying to get a sense of authenticity, Freeland said, Speaking to tribal leaders, I said, No, no, we're not here to tell you what we're going to do. We're here to create a dialogue so that we can get your input and create a more authentic portrayal of the Choctaw people and culture. When it came to my production crew, I would describe it until I was blue in the face. But they had to see it. My production designer had to see it through his eyes and my first assistant director had to see it through his eyes. Further to this, executive producer Richie Palmer spoke about Maya's final costume in the show. It's not just a suit, it's a war record. It's a unique and symbolic costume and represents Maya coming into her own and accepting her spot in her real family. It's her saying, I am Maya Lopez and I echo the powers of the ancestors not just in my kick-ass abilities but in the way I dress, the way I braid my hair down to the details on my prosthetic leg. I felt like that's... I echo the powers of the ancestors. There's a line I felt needed to be in the script somewhere. Because <laughs> it's called Echo, but that's never addressed. But, but uh, 
Yeah, true. That's like, true. I, I have to go, oh, okay, I, I kind of get what's happening now, but she's echoing the powers and she's echoing the experiences, of, but I need a, a line. and Maybe I missed it, but I didn't, I don't think so. I, you know, because many, many episodes, perhaps I didn't, perhaps there's something I did miss, but... I, I felt like we never had that line where you're going, ah, oh, that's why it's called Echo. That's yeah. why she's called Echo. I think to be fair, we with all the with all the stuff, all the uh, movies and TV shows, we just accept their names. We don't have to be told, oh, that's how they got their name. We just go, yeah, that's fine. They're there. No, I need cool. to, I need to be told because I know. <laughs> I, be, be, so this is a yin yang thing, right? Because from the comic books, I know why she's called Echo. Yeah, and it's not present in the in this. I'm like, well, wait, why is it called Echo then? Yeah. What's that about? Why? Give me the reason. Give me the background to the name then. Yeah. So I'm looking for that because I know a change has happened. Yeah, I get that. I uh, get that. So, but it's not present in you. So there you go. That's yin yang again. Because Maya Lopez is a prominent deaf character, Freeland worked to ensure her close-up shots included actors signing, with many, uh, many on the crew talking in American Sign Language classes. Sorry, they're taking American Sign Language classes. Speaking about the experience of everybody learning ASL, Freeland said, So when you and I are talking right now, we're speaking and I'm vocalising, and the words coming out of my mouth are the text, but the way I'm talking to you is the subtext, right? Like, if you ask me, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. That's the text. But if I said, I'm fine, in a different tone, the subtext is, I'm not. One of the things that we all learn is that in sign language, signing is the text, and the face is the subtext. It's the expression. It's the motion. It's how many emotion. It's how much emotion you see in your face. But you need signing and facial expressions to be able to get the full emotional context of what's being communicated. That's really interesting. I definitely felt um, that this was not as easy to watch <laughs> yes. as a show where I'm hearing. I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing a lot of dialogue. Of course, there is a lot of voice and a lot of dialogue. But we have when we have these um, wonderfully put together prolonged scenes, almost all conducted through sign language, or and I'm reading subtitles. I'm realizing this is requiring me to do more work as a viewer. Yes, um, I'm having to look at the face, look at the look at the look at the the, um, the body language, and look at the the subtitle. And whereas it's much easier when it, like I said they have the the emphasis and tone in a voice to to let you know everything. So yeah, I I definitely felt that it was it was very different, and it was a different experience. Um, and it's not it's not the same as for instance watching a foreign movie with subtitles yeah. because. Because you're still, I'm reading the subtitles. I don't need to perhaps look at. I, I'm getting a lot from tone of voice and mm. emphasis, and this was a yeah requiring more of me as a viewer. <laughs> yeah. Speaking about her experience playing Echo in the show, Cox said, "Maya can do stunts. Maya is an amputee and she's deaf, and usually that's looked down upon. Disabled people can't do this, can't do that. But I'm excited to show the world that Maya is a badass and she can beat those top level bad guys. She could go up against Daredevil and Kingpin, and I'm really excited for the viewers to see that. I really enjoyed working with a personal trainer to help me become Maya. It was hard, especially with Kingpin, because we always had a lot of intense scenes together. But I did have a vibration device that I would put in my sh- in my shirt when Kingpin and I are talking and he does not use sign language. So I did not know uh, when his lines were over. So when he would finish his lines, the interpreter would hit the button and it would give me a vibration and would let me know that his line was done and it was my turn. When I felt the buzzer, it would take me out of my emotions that I was feeling for that one second. So I had to ignore it. But also at the same time, thank God that this worked and it was uh, it was able to flow much better. 
That's that's interesting. That's inter- it was a really interesting choice to have Fisk be the like the only character that hadn't bothered to learn any sign language. <laughs> yeah. Um it was yeah. And how do you feel about that um that device that he has someone invent? <laughs> I thought that was really cool and I a great it. visual that transformed his words to like an AI representative of, of sign language for her to see. Um yeah. I thought that was that was really um interesting little thing to put in there that was very um, also, inspired yeah yeah but but also kind of showed uh, it was a character point as well it wasn't yes. just a gimmick it was he's just trying to buy things yes rather than do the work yes rather than actually try to connect with you and communicate with you yeah. he's again paying someone to communicate for him yeah um, there's another thing uh later in the show i won't i will talk about it later but they were saying like this is another character this isn't a mistake this is like to the cat more to the character point you know it's it's you know how 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 kingpin is as yeah. a character but we'll talk about that later so the cast also featured notable names uh Maya's uncle is played by uh, chaske spencer known for his role in the twilight movies and prestige dramas like banshee and sneaky pete Maya's sort of grandfather scully is played by graham green who rose oh, to, yeah love this dude he, he rose to fame playing kicking bird in dances with wolves and also appeared in movies like thunderheart maverick and die hard with a vengeance he also he also popped up um, in an episode of uh, The Last of Us, and, he, and, and I recognise his face from all those films. I was like, "Oh, it's him!" And he was great. He was great, and he's great in this. I absolutely love Graham Greene in this. Um, I love Maverick's one of my. It's just a great movie, um, and he's tremendous fun in Maverick. Okay, as I've, I've got to put that down on my list. Have you I? not seen Maverick? Mel Gibson. Well, I, the card, I, I, the card I'm not a big Mel Gibson fan. But this, yeah, this is a massive movie, yeah, remember, and this was before all of his stuff. Anyway, yeah. um, he's he's really great. I won't say anything else about it because I don't want to spoil that for you. But <laughs> he's great in that. Um, and uh, Dance with Wolves, yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, Dance with Wolves is, is a commitment to watch. But uh, I remember it a lot. It was one of those few movies that my I remember my dad would go to see certain kind of great movies with with his brother sometimes and he'd come back and go that was a really well-made movie and as a kid yeah. that like you lifts it into like a venerated status then you go oh wow that's a really that must be a really um but i, I do i do really enjoy his kind of like oh this again in die hard with a vengeance like he's <laughs> like he just brings a, a great kind of like rumpled like ah, uh, rumpled everyday cop going through. Well, is he crap? Cop? I thought he's a firefighter. I thought he's a firefighter chief or something. No, he's a cop. Oh, okay, okay, right. yeah. But I, I, I uh, anyway, yeah. He he was great in that. Yeah, I, I just love those characters who can step into that role of believe believable public sector worker. <laughs> yeah. So you you know you know the cops that pick um, Bruce Willis up off the street when he's been forced to wear that. Uh, to drop Black him up. off when he's been forced to wear that sign. Yeah, um, he's in the van with him there, and he's at the station with the shoe gets thrown across and blows up the thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. I think he's the one that saves the school as well. Anyway, he is. Yeah. He is. He, well, they, yeah. turns out they did. Well, we were spoiled. Die anyway. Hard with a Vengeance for anyone yeah, who hasn't seen it. that 1995 movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that film though. In April 2022, Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox were revealed to be involved with the series, reprising their role as Wilson Fisk and Matt Murdock from the Netflix Daredevil series. This led to a major announcement in January 2024, which confirmed that the Netflix Marvel shows are officially part of the MCU. Disney Plus has now included Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and the Defenders in the MCU section of their streaming library. This, this, this is that I mean, we, we were looking quite recently. We looked at Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and we had this thing of 
does it count? Like, yeah, I always because we because they referenced like Avengers stuff, mm. but Marvel were just very weird about saying officially definitely yes or no and yeah. it was a very peculiar and we, we we speculated that perhaps it's a contractual thing but then we we're like well no because they're not on netflix anymore they're on disney but there's other stuff on disney that's kind of like legacy shows that aren't part of the mcu yeah. and it was it was it was originally pitched to everyone as this is the dark side of the marvel universe the yeah. mcu sorry I was like that's really cool. cool um fisk you know profited hugely from Battle of what's it called? Battle of New York. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and those shows, I, I, I don't know how you feel, but I know we, we're, there's a lot of talk of continuity these days. But <laughs> I think it, for me, it feels wholly more satisfying to know that these shows, which I think are wonderful, wonderful shows, mm. all the way through to Defenders, to 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 know that they are part of the MCU. Is is very satisfying. Yeah. It, 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 if if I have to go about thinking, oh, actually, they are something separate, and they're not really part of the, that kind of diminishes it a little bit in my mind. Yeah. It doesn't tarnish the TV show I watch, but it does have a little. I, I want. I want this to be the dark underbelly yeah. that you don't see in the movie. I get that. I get that. Um, and it, it was interesting that they suddenly rushed that announcement out. <laughs> right yeah it was it was yeah. a very sudden hey january echo the echo series is here and uh wilson because when wilson fisk turned up in hawkeye yeah. they didn't say oh those old shows are officially part of the mcu yeah when charlie cox turned up in um spider-man no way from home or whatever it's called no, no, no way no, home yeah. they didn't say this they didn't say any of that they just said Oh, there he is. And the same with She-Hulk. They just said, there's that guy playing that role. So it, it, I wonder whether they were saving that to try and give extra pep to Echo, which doesn't, you know, to try and give it a bit more extra hype and promotion. Yeah, they sort of had it up their sleeve and go, right, we'll use this when we get, get something. Maybe. Yeah. But I, it, I, it, yeah. it certainly dominated the news cycle of, of, you know, entertainment news cycle, didn't it, for a, for a, a week or so. Oh, absolutely. Um, In- yeah. Yeah. In May 2023, entertainment reporter Jeff Snyder claimed on several podcasts that Disney wasn't happy with Echo, that Kevin Feige called it unreleasable and ordered extensive reshoots as the show needed a top-to-bottom rejigging. Do you remember this happening? I do not remember this happening, do you? Oh, yeah, big time. Oh, big time. And I, I thought it played into why it was delayed and everything. And Mr. Hollywood was... isn't that good. <laughs> yeah, I remember it I remember it thinking, ah, oh, geez, that, 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 doesn't feel, that doesn't feel great at all. Well, I remember the whole thing with Daredevil uh, Reborn. That was everyone knew about that. That 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 was tragic. F- finish the bit, and then we'll chat about that. <coughs> okay. And this claim was widely reported by websites and podcasts until Disney reached out to debunk the claims and said Echo didn't require any extended reshooting, although the release of the series was delayed from November 2023 to January 2024. Um, that isn't that that. Delaying from November to January is not enough time for extensive reshooting. Nope. Um, so it wasn't that. So I think what happened is that Jeff Snyder got the wrong project. Uh... Because top to bottom rejigging and unreleasable are exactly the phrases used to describe the, the Daredevil yeah. show, um, which, yeah. uh, which has been completely changed so i wonder whether jeff snyder heard about a charlie cox 
Daredevil project. thing and yeah. thought it was Echo and got it wrong because it's exactly the same words, right, and phrases. Yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit a bit of a embarrassing uh, embarrassing fail that one. But hey, yeah, it's embarrassing for Disney to have to kind of say completely wrong about Echo. What's that about the other one? Um, yeah, yeah. kind of right. It was kind of right about Daredevil. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like yeah. You, you, that's not happening with Deco. It's happening with this show that we're also well, unhappy. This terrible with. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. yeah. Echo premiered as the most watched show on Disney Plus and streaming aggregator sites. Real Good and Just Watch both said that Echo was one of the most one of the top five most streamed shows in January. That's very a big success. Successful. Very very successful. C- considering you don't have top five. Yeah, yeah. Top five streams, so not just on Disney. Yeah, yeah, across all the uh, platforms. That's then. really interesting. That's really that's a really good mark, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's yeah, and I wouldn't expect that for a show that doesn't have a big, um, like a big Marvel star coming into it. Yeah, and doesn't yeah. you know, like She Hulk? I would, I would expect it to be She Hulk because there's name value to the character mm. and it, it looks like it's going to be flashy and fun and interesting and. You know, it's going to have kind of I don't know, high concept superhero stuff going on. Yeah. I wouldn't expect it for this, so that's really interesting. No, yeah, I, I, I'm really surprised, but that's really good. Uh, finally, the review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes reports a 71% approval rating with an average rating of 6.7 out of 10 based on 80 reviews. The site's critical consensus reads, Alequa Cox makes Echo's first season consistently worth watching, while hard-hitting action fresh narrative elements suggest strong potential for this slow-building series. CPR.com called Echo Marvel Studios' first truly prestige TV series. The Guardian called it... The well, Blood- let's stop. Let's think about that. Yeah. Does that feel right to you? No, because that's Daredevil Season 1. No, Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios. Oh, it's it's kind of saying like the Disney the Disney Plus Marvel stuff. Ah, okay. Oh. What what? You're tutting, you're upset. Sorry, I'm trying to try and understand. Like, it isn't the, t- the first truly prestige TV series? Is that what you're it, saying? I right. They're saying this is the Disney Marvel TV products mm-hmm. first truly prestige TV show. Okay. And that, so that's what they're saying. You said, oh, that'd be Daredevil. I'm saying that that's not what they're talking about. Okay, That's the it? Netflix stuff. They're talking about the Disney Plus right. ones that we've had since WandaVision on through. Ah, yes, okay. So does it feel like that, if we put it in that context? It, it has it has elements it's, of a prestige TV series. Yeah, more, more. I would say, more than Loki, yeah. more than maybe Hawkeye. I'm not Actually, sure. Yeah, it is Hawkeye was very good. The, the closest they got to a prestige TV Do, series. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it but, certainly feels that way, doesn't it? Mm. Guardian called it the bloodiest show ever seen on Disney, and Rolling That's, Stone. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's just stop and don't, rush to the end. <laughs> the bloodiest show ever seen on Disney is yeah a, a big claim. Yeah, it's one hundred percent the bloodiest of the Disney Plus Marvel stuff, hmm. but, isn't it? Yeah, but they're also saying on Disney, full stop, not Marvel Disney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I mean, it's not even it's nowhere it's nowhere near as bloody as like. Punisher, Daredevil, mm. those shows. Um, but I don't know if Disney Plus has got much else on there that would live up to that kind of... No. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But it is interesting. They went so hard on the violence in this one. <laughs> yeah, they did. Did, did, it, did, it, did it strike you as... Did, did it make you feel like you're watching something different? Did it, did it stand out to you? Did it... it- it did. It did. Uh, like some of the fighting scenes, there, you, you know, you really got that contact, blood. You know, after being punched, and then people getting yeah. shot, and then Kingpin 
doing someone in in an alley and getting blown yeah. himself. It's like it wasn't getting to the same level as the Netflix shows because they really, really went hard on the violence in those shows. But yeah. it was that same thing of like, ooh, you know, we're getting back to the grittiness a bit here. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Rolling Stone finally called the show Marvel's best TV show in years. I don't know about mm. that. I it's mean, nice. maybe in a year. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I don't know. I didn't love the season two of Loki. Um, yeah. So maybe it's better than that. I, I don't watch much of the what if stuff. It's it's not better than Haw- Hawkeye was was a lot better than this show. Yeah. And what was Hawkeye? Was it 2022? Must have been. Yeah, 2022. Yeah. So I don't know in years. I don't think this is. I don't think this is better than Captain America and the Winter Soldier, uh, or sorry, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You know, I yeah. I don't know. Um, it was better than Secret Invasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can say that about it. I'll agree with that. And that it's interesting to see that score on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Um, although six point seven out of ten, probably feels about more more right. Really, like. I must admit, I only see people talking down about this show mm. on in my social network. How about you? Mostly, but I think <laughs> it was there were there were a fair few Simpsons groups I'm in, obviously, and they were like someone make a meme like like Homer running down the street after the the garbage truck, going, "Hey, wait, I still have more garbage," and in his hand is Echo. So, I would say the the problem then, with that is that those groups yeah. are t- just centered around trying to find a running bandwagon yeah, typey joke yeah, yeah, yeah. to 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 play along with not not saying it's n- n- not particularly bad but i don't think that's reflective of kind of regular people watching a tv no, no, show and but what was liking about or not say, liking what happened it. next was in those posts a lot of people went no actually it was good <laughs> oh, <laughs> what right, you want okay. about it was good <laughs> yeah i saw quite a lot of mixed stuff yeah. um, probably more but i think I think there's a lot of like people going, like the worst comedy club audience members sitting down with folded arms. Go on then, see if you're any good, you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Um, Some people, I, I think, approach things like, "Oh, it's another Marvel thing." Well, I'm going to be very, I'm going to do everything I can to try and not enjoy yeah. it. And it's like, they are, what are you doing with your? They're life? writing their tweet in their head as they're watching this. They're going, "Well, it's slow." And it doesn't have enough of this, and it doesn't have, rather than just enjoying a, sh- a thing. Um, I don't know, man. I also don't know if this show is so good it would blow those kind of people away and change their minds. Yeah. As we look at the latest Marvel series Echo, let's take a trip behind the page to see how this character came about. Maya Lopez was created in 1999 by writer-artist David Mack and writer-artist Joe Quesada. Um, during a time of like incredible newfound creativity at, at Marvel Comics, as we've documented on several episodes, the 90s saw Marvel experience the highest of highs with comic book sales in, in, in the multiple millions, and then also the lowest of lows as the company went for bankruptcy in, in 1996. And kind of most of the 90s was saturated with with bloated storytelling storytelling that was controlled by the marketing department of the company rather than the creatives 
and led to bad stories like the Clone Saga that kind of ran on way too long because the marketing park department are saying we need this to run for another five or six months. Um, <laughs> but in 1998, after the bankruptcy kind of had, had quietened down, I'm not sure if they were out of it just by that point, mm. but things started to change for, for Marvel when the company outsourced a series of their comic books to bright, young, independent comic book creators. And these two completely rejuvenated Marvel Comics. So writers and artists Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti ran a small um, publishing outfit called Event Comics. Well, they actually they, they published through Caliber Comics. But anyway, it was called Event Comics, which is an imprint of Caliber Comics. And they published a couple of indie characters that had pretty good success. Ash and Painkiller Jane. Painkiller Jane had a flurry of popularity in the 90s and went on to ha- to be turned into a TV series. Mm. Um, and they both enjoyed healthy sales, industry buzz. They were published on time. The artwork was really great and very 90s. Um, and so Marvel ex- had this experiment with handing over a bunch of characters to Joe and Jimmy at Event Comics to publish. They handed over the Black Panther Punisher, the Inhumans, and Daredevil Mm. as part of a project called Marvel Knights. Joe and Jimmy would use their contacts in the independent comic book scene to recruit really exciting writers and artists that Marvel hadn't employed before. Mm. And they injected fresh blood and fresh creativity into the company, the likes of Brian Michael Bendis, um, Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, where we get their Punisher from, Ah. um, and Kevin Smith. So Joe and Jimmy shot Daredevil to the top of the sales charts by bringing in popular movie director Kevin Smith, a renowned comic book fan in the kind of in the world. You know, he put all these comic book references and all his movies like Clerks and Dogma and stuff. Mm. And they bring Kevin Smith in to write the Daredevil comic. It becomes the number one best-selling comic in America. And then with his newfound success they look to do some more creative, interesting things with the comic when Kevin Smith can't meet monthly deadlines anymore. They bring in another writer-artist from the independent scene called David Mack to try and create a brand new femme fatale to complicate Matt Murdock's life. Mm. David Mack is a thoroughly, thoroughly unique comic book creator. I've met him, no big deal, um, who had been... <laughs> who'd been publishing his own comic book character called Kabuki since 1994. Kabuki is an independent comic, and it's the story of an assassin that struggles with her identity in a kind of near-future Japan. Not like far-flung flying cars and stuff, but but close to where we are, but not quite. Um, Kabuki's history slowly unfolds over many, many years, And his storytelling is so interesting and different and not for everyone. He eschews the the kind of the hardcore extreme action of the mainstream 90s comics. Like in Kabuki, there's like very little fast-paced or violent action scenes. Um, And instead, most of the storytelling focuses on memories and dreams and thoughts and philosophies. It has a lot more in common with Sandman than Mm. it does with you know, perhaps Spawn or the X-Men or whatever. Yeah. David Mack's characters, especially Kabuki herself, revisit the same scenes and and the same memories again and again and again, rethinking 
what has happened over and over again and reinterpreting their significance. It's not for everyone, but it's really interesting if it's for you. Mm. David Mack's art style is is really interesting as well. It's very inventive and unique, and it's highly, highly original. He uses a mixture, like a myriad of art styles, so not only pencil and ink and and colour, but he'll also mix that with um, painting, and he'll mix it with magazine clippings Mm. and scans of Japanese manga comics and crayon drawings, and he'll create a collage, like a, a sequence that shifts style as the story shifts from memory to reality to dream and back again. And collage pieces, it's really great. Check out some of those images I've just sent you. Um, this is David Ooh. Mack doing um, an Echo story called Vision Quest, which is oh. after he's returned to the character. Oh, wow. Um, it's really, it's not the same as like panel, two characters talking, panel, two characters punching. It's a lot more like collage work, isn't it? Yeah, did you did you say that he was the same guy who did uh, that Arkham comic or not? Nope, no, nope. That it is... looks like that. Yeah, you say that about Bill Senkovich as well. Um, oh, okay, it's David McKean. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, David McKean it's... is kind of strictly painting. Yeah. Um, whereas what you can see in those images is Mac kind of doing. Um, it's a collage, mm. and yeah, there are there are similarities. There are similarities. Yeah, it's the art style. It's the colors. Are, the art style. It's, it's almost. It's kind of. It's art, but there's there's, there's this touch of like detail and hyper realism in places. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Jimmy and and, and Joe Quesada bring David Mack to Marvel Knights to do something kind of similar, like Kabuki esque with with uh, the the pages of Daredevil mm. and create a strong female character that could be. It could be as interesting and dynamic and different as Kabuki. Um, and the story that they, they have introduces Echo is tremendous. It it weaves between... So Daredevil had been drawn regularly since they, they, the Marvel Knights launch by Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Quesada. And that has a very slick 90s feel to it. Mm. And then there'd be these... David Mack wrote this, wrote this, this story... But there'd be these um, periods where uh, Maya Lopez would remember her life or have a dream, and then we get, bang, full-on David Mack, gorgeous, weird artwork. Mm. And then back to a regular slick 90s, two characters talking, here's Matt Murdock, and <laughs> da, 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 da. And sometimes he wove them together as well, which is really interesting nice. to see like the like see crayon drawings and, and on all sorts, m- m- newspaper clippings, magazine clippings and things in, in a regular Marvel comic. Mm. So the interest in the character of Maya Lopez is kind of this counterpoint to Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock's world is nothing but sounds because of his visual impairment. Yes, yes. So the counterpoint is a female character who can hear no sounds and experiences the world very visually. Mm. And in a very different way, um, and th- she becomes um, a complication, an antagonist. Uh, but once the story is over, Echo could have simply become another recurring background character, like some of Daredevil's other femme fatales in in the past. Ever since Frank Miller transformed Daredevil in the eighties into this kind of like crime noir <laughs> styled story uh, mm. and character femme fatales became a big part the popularity of electra 
which was yes. huge. And she became her own starring character and and kind of uh, created this incredible legacy at Marvel. There was an awful rush, an awful lot of rush to it. Like, he needs to have... So Black Widow then becomes more of a femme fatale to uh, Daredevil, sort of. Mm. Whereas before she'd just been girlfriend. Um, now it was, oh, he's hung up on her and he always does the bad thing when she asks him to. And they <laughs> create another character called Typhoid Mary, um, who didn't go on to become popular or a leading character or anything like that. And Echo could very much have fallen into that vein. There was yeah. the story that introduced her and... It, it kind of resolved itself. Um, and then David Mack does this other story called Vision Quest, which is focused almost solely on Echo. But that might have been it, really. She might have just come back a couple of times. or. But what happened in the meanwhile is that Marvel Knights, as a project, succeeded in completely changing Marvel Comics forever. Mm. Joe Quesada had done such a great job with Marvel Knights that he's promoted to the boss of the whole thing, <laughs> editor-in-chief of the entire line of Marvel Comics, the number one creative dude at Marvel. And as the man in charge, um, he transformed the Avengers, and he put indie writer Brian Michael Bendis in charge of the Avengers. And Bendis created a brand-new team of Avengers that we've looked at, often called the New Avengers, and they included kind of popular characters like Spider-Man and Wolverine for the very first time. The Avengers, historically, until that point in the early 2000s, had really always been this, roughly the same kind of batch of people. The Vision, Hawkeye, the Scarlet Witch, you know, not leading star characters. Mm. And as we've talked about, at one point, Brian Michael Bendis says to a whole group of Marvel execs and, and, and creatives, the Avengers suck. <laughs> like, they should have big stars in them. And so his plan was... I want to put Spider-Man in the Avengers, which was unheard of. I want yeah. to put Wolverine in the Avengers, unheard of. And as they got through their very first Avengers storyline and resolved that, issue six or whatever, they needed something else, another fresh new thing of to get people excited. Because you have the first initial excitement of, oh, new Avengers, oh, Spider-Man's in it, mm. Wolverine's in it. Where do we go from there? Well, Brian Michael Bendis and Joe Quesada introduced in their promotional artwork for the upcoming issue a new mystery character was going to be on the team Ooh. a masked mystery character a masked asian influenced ninja looking warrior known only as ronin ah and speculation was rife <laughs> as to who this character was very blocky very masculine looking character hmm. Who is secretly beneath the mask? And in a big shock, in an article in USA Today, writer Scott Bowles spoke to Brian Michael Bendis and revealed the following from their conversation. He wrote in the article, A mystery member is also on the team, but he won't, he won't be identified for several issues. <sighs> Suffice to say, he's a Marvel favourite, a Hollywood hit, and the item in his hands is a big clue. Oh. That narrows it down. In the early 2000s, mm. they've only had Spider-Man, X-Men, Blade, Ghost Rider, Daredevil. And this character was c carrying a baton-type weapon. So from those clues, it was painfully obvious 
that Ronin was going to be Matt Murdock, Daredevil, Ooh. under a different mask. Mm. Daredevil being one of the only other Marvel movies that had been out and been a hit, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so, when the new Avengers started, Daredevil had been featured as sort of part of the team. He'd appeared on the front cover, but it really only been in the in the pages of the of the issue. It had only been Matt Murdock without his costume mm. making an appearance. At that time, which we're going to get to in our big bonus episode this month, Matt Murdock, his secret identity had been exposed to the public. He's being sued. He's under investigation by the FBI. There is a threat by the district attorney's office to not only strip him of his right to practice law, but if it's proven that he is Daredevil... Every single person he has ever convicted will be released from prison because it is wholly, wholly illegal to to be a vigilante beating people up and then prosecuting them or whatever as a as a lawyer. So he he he's offered this job by Captain America to join the Avengers. But he's like, I can't do any, I can't have any more spotlight on me. Basically, I can't put the costume on and be Daredevil anymore because it's just bringing more and more nightmares to my life. So, thank you, Cap, but I can't do this. And Cap, in that issue, says, I had a similar problem once upon a time. I put on a different costume and called myself the Captain. Worked for me. <laughs> just saying, bye. And you go, oh, that's so he's definitely going to be Ronin then, right? That's what we're all, right? That's definitely, he's going to be Ronin. And then the reveal finally comes at the end of the storyline called Ronin. Ronin fights alongside the Avengers, fighting the hand in Japan, removes the mask, and it's Echo. This was a huge disappointment to fans, including me. Look, I liked that story with Echo in, but she's a minor, minor, minor character that had made a couple of appearances. And this was a big mystery in the number one comic in America that had been running for months. (laughs) And we kind of all knew it was going to be Matt Murdock and we were excited for that. (laughs) People at the time said there was was really no way that it was originally meant to be Echo. Mm. That the USA Today article spoiled it and forced Bendis and Marvel to to change gears, swap horses mid-race. Question was asked time and time again over the years, and Brian Michael Bendis always insisted. Well, over the years, it was asked to him a lot, and he was always like, "No, no, no." The plan was always Ronin. It was always Echo. It was always going to be Echo. <laughs> but they um, they brought out like a, a hard a hardcover bound collection of the New Avengers. And in like some behind the, the often in those collections there'll be interviews and have some behind the scenes chat. And Bendis revealed that yes, it was obviously meant to be Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Ronin was intended to be Matt Murdock <laughs> from the start <laughs> to get away from his problems. He could be Ronin in the Avengers, and it wouldn't complicate his life as Daredevil and all that that was going on. So yeah. I could have that character do the what I wanted, but. The USA Today article came out. He didn't realise he was on the record with the reporter from USA Today when he said what he said. He was saying, off the record, in his mind, 
in a casual way things like, oh, well, it's, it's going to be it's a big character. It's been a Hollywood hit. The weapon in the hand, bit of a clue. Thanks very much. See ya. <laughs> and the USA Today reporter was like, that's on the record. I'm publishing it. <laughs> and so the, the, the end of their mystery had been spoiled ahead of time. So they had to change it themselves to try and come up with something that would still surprise people and would still fit the parts of the story that had already been laid out. Aside from the conversation with Captain America, which does not apply in any way whatsoever. And with that slip of the tongue, and with that stroke of the pen, Maya Lopez is probably saved from obscurity. Yeah. She she is she goes from being a minor character with only a handful of appearances to becoming a fully fledged Avenger during some of the biggest Marvel stories that they've ever published. Without Brian Michael Bendis accidentally spoiling the end of the Ronin mystery, Maya Lopez would likely never have become a major character and more than likely would never have had her own MCU series on Disney. We love hearing from you guys here on the podcast. You can always drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com or you can tweet us or x us whatever it's called post to us jesus uh at marvel versus um will what is in our mailbag well first of all uh adam joyce had a thought about the incredible international box office performance of the thor movie oh yes we chatted about that in the in the in the thor remastered episode didn't we where yeah the world, the, the international box office was significantly higher than we <laughs> than it was for Iron Man or anything. We, we were we were taken aback by it. Yeah, he said uh, one thing you didn't pick up on the box office is that it was released in Australia first. Not saying that's where the international box office comes from, but it may have helped. Thank you for that, Adam. Pointed that one out. Yeah, I hadn't. Um, that that's interesting. I, I suppose with a with like a hometown leading star, yeah. that kind of makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, him off. Neighbours or Home and Away, whatever he was on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mascal wrote in to say, I'm loving the podcast so far this year. Amalgam Comics, the really bad Fantastic Four movie, and Four Remastered. All of them great episodes. I've been listening to you guys ever since WandaVision, and you are my Oof. number one podcast. Oh, yes. Thank Every you, Mascal. Of course we are. <laughs> Every week there isn't a new episode I listen to. Uh, there's a new episode I listen to. I listen to uh, your old episodes uh, because they're also good. I even love it when you do things like Batman and Spawn because I love learning more about superheroes and the history of Marvel. As for Echo, I was really looking forward to this series because Hawkeye was my favourite of all the Disney shows. I was frustrated they delayed the release of Echo and then I was disappointed that Yelana and Kate didn't make an appearance, but I still enjoyed Maya's story. <coughs> That's, that, is, that is interesting. Just interrupt you there, Will. That is interesting because, yeah, I think... Like, if you hear there's going to be a spin-off from Hawkeye, you probably are hoping it's going to be Kate Bishop or or Yelena, isn't it? Yeah, I, I get that. I get that, yeah. I get that. But I, I, I just don't know what they're going to do with them next. Um, no, but in the context of this, context you know, of this, yeah. you'd expect, no, I get it, I get, you'd expect I get them it. to be kind of there, don't you? No, but I'm now I'm, my brain's now working, like, going a step ahead and going, like, oh, what are they going to do with them next? <laughs> um, th- Thunderbolts for Yelena. Good. She's the Black Widows and Thunderbolts. That's yep, I think already good. been announced. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I am. I am. It feels like Kate Bishop, uh, along with um, Ms. Marvel, is being set up for the Young Avengers. Fantastic. 
Uh, I found it uh, hard to begin with because of all the subtitles instead of talking, which I'm used to, but I thought the fight scenes were awesome, and I love the relationship between Maya and Fisk. Next month, I'm signing it to Patreon so I can listen to the new episodes without ads and early in the week. Please keep making the show. That's great. Thank you very much, Maskell, for writing in. We will keep making the show. <laughs> um, we really hope you do join us on Patreon to get rid of those pesky ads. Um, um, and if you do like it when we go outside of Marvel, you're in luck because we're going to be handling Batman versus Superman Dawn of Martha on um, <laughs> in March on the bonus show. Um, so make sure you, uh, you're with us for that. <laughs> I love popping, Will. It's my most favourite thing to do in the world. <laughs> Dawn of Martha. <laughs> Andrew Garvey said, Only watched three episodes so far, and because I stupidly decide to watch with my wife and son, who are both rubbish at binging, won't finish it for a few more days. Can only comment so much. But some really fun fight scenes. Really like the uh, ASL <clears throat> chapter content. Uh, Kingpin's and Kingpin's sheer presence as well. Definitely enjoyed what I've seen so far. Even it's uh, some of the train stuff was a bit much and daft. Uh, but update: I've now watched all five episodes. Definitely interested in seeing more of Echo. Very much enjoyed how the story played out and love seeing Fisk. That's really that's it. That's interesting. Like gets to the end and it's like I definitely want more. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the I think the end it had a really cool kind of final episode. I think a lot of Marvel shows are I seem to be doing that. Like Loki was like that. Yeah, like the season two of Loki, I thought was pretty dreary, yeah. and I was really <laughs> bored. And then the last episode was one of the best episodes of Marvel television I've ever seen. And I was like, "What the it hell was... happened here, guys?" I know it's like, it's like, wow, they turned that around. But it would have been nice, yeah. if, you know, they didn't have to, we didn't have to plod through a lot of it. Oh, the plod. Def David Fan said, "I never re I never really say anything bad about MCU content, but I watched this series in one sitting and felt bored from start to end." Most of the action was with Daredevil and Hawkeye in flashback clips. I think the only good thing about the series is making some of the Netflix shows MCU canon, and the acting from D'Onofrio was pleasant to see again. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, you're not the first person we've heard say that. Um, yeah, it's hard to get away from that. I I I'm not I'm not beating a drum saying this is the everything Marvel make is great, and this is this is just as good as this isn't brilliant, but it was it had a lot of positives for me. Yeah, it wasn't all... No, well, I'll get to my opinion at the end of it. Uh, Cody said, I thought the show was pretty cool. I like the influences of ASL and the Choctaw Nation of the show. I think it's a cool step in the MCU journey. It's not going to be at the top of my rankings or anything, but I did like it. I think I agree with Cody. That that feels yeah. like my opinion, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 for me, it's like 71% of Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. It's like, yeah, that sounds about right. Cool. Uh, but I did like it. I'm cool with the Netflix shows being canon. I kind of hope it's a loose canon because if I remember correctly, there was some crazy things that happened to the city of New York in The Defenders, but we'll see what they do. Um, thank you, Cody. Yeah, there was, but there's always crazy stuff that happens in New York. Like in every movie, something crazy happens. Yeah, there's a like giant a hand sticking out the Arctic, the top of the Arctic. We haven't gotten around <laughs> to yet. I, you know, I love that. Roll that's been it. memed. It's just like there's this giant hand. No one's really said anything about it, and we're just sort of moving. There's away nothing from it. that says other people can see it. <laughs> ah, very true, very true. You're like you're like the continuity editor or whatever for the the MCU sure. continuity. It's like, hey, what if it's invisible? <laughs> and finally, we have a letter from King Kanak, who said, "Echo, 
I have to say that I don't know much about her in the comics. The only comic I uh, own where she shows up is that time that Moon Knight was living on the West Coast instead of his usual headmate, uh, headmates was hallucinating and taking ideas from Wolverine, Spider-Man and Captain America. Liked her in that, but that's not really the point at hand. Maya in the MCU has had an interesting journey already and I think that while this show was being announced it was probably a symptom of what Bob Iger was talking about when he said the studio was doing good quantity over quality in practice. They still deliver pretty good quality with this show. I love the way that everyone from Maya's home never knows how to sign even though she hasn't been home in 20 years while Fisk never learned. Yeah, I, I was thinking I was thinking yeah. I would have forgotten. Like I haven't done <laughs> I haven't learned German I haven't spoken German in 20 years. I don't remember any of it. Yeah. Um because I stopped using it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's what happens. I like the uh, new powers she has. I've heard complaints that whilst her, while her copying powers are cool it basically allows her to be good at whatever she needs to be, which includes pretending to be not disabled by parroting speech. Was very happy with our brief Daredevil moment. I was hearing that that scene takes place during the five years between Infinity War and Endgame, which means that Matt likely heard the terror and sudden vanishing of half the population all at once. Terrifying. Anyway, I can tell why they dropped this show all at once, but I think it was a... I think it was a really good project, and I can't wait to see where Maya shows up next. Thank you for writing in, King Canuck. Um, yeah, I can, we can talk about um, Maya's deafness in the comics uh, in part two, um, because there's something to be said about that. Um, what do you think about De- about Matt Murdock hearing like half of everyone vanish? That's, I mean. Yeah, because if you, if you if you can see, you don't see everybody, but you'd hear everybody. Yeah, that's, well, because he yeah he, he yeah, can his his his, his, his uh, hearing is, is <sighs> incredible. Don't um, be like that would, bit in Star Wars. I just I just heard yeah of millions of people, but he wouldn't hear scream. Well, he'd screams from people left behind. Left behind, yeah. It, it would be like that moment when they blow up Alderaan or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, Drums are lying. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com. Of course, the best place to get in touch with us and to find us is on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel um you're already missing out <laughs> every month on patreon we release amazing bonus shows packed full of marvel stories and history and trivia and fun if you're not with us then you're missing out on big shows that cover infinity gauntlet the kang dynasty the spider-verse the young avengers and so much more avengers versus the justice league only available on Patreon. Um, we got some very big, amazing supporters. Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Zach Thomas, Bass DeBeer, Sam, Bindi, Supi, Jack Davis, David Fan, Adam Joyce, the world-class wrecking crew. They give the absolute most to support us. We could not do the show without them. We thank them very, very much. Everyone who subscribes on Patreon is part of our community. Hey, you know what's happened recently? Phoenix Phil decided to kick up that pledge. He was in at the the perfectly acceptable (laughs) entry-level tier. And Phoenix Phil, who's been a supporter of us for a long time, he's like, I need to go up. I need an ad-free and early access. So he's kicked himself up to the ad-free, early access tier. We love to see it. Thank you, Phoenix Phil. 
Um, and Phoenix Phil is a, is a, is a, you should check him out. He's a writer as well. He's written some wonderful, wonderful books, including Survive the Universe, which is described as Blake Seven meets the Breakfast Club. Um, it's got wonderful ratings on Amazon. If you head to, um, Twitter, you can find him at Phoenix Phil M. And uh, you can get all the links for how you can get access to his Kindle books. It's available free. Survive the Universe is available free on Kindle Unlimited. So you can get that now at Phoenix Phil M on Twitter. A uh, big shout out to Phoenix Phil. Kicking it up to the tier that you need to have ad free <laughs> right now. Listening to us on a Friday with no ads. Oh, the wind in your hair. Um, <laughs> Will like that one because he likes to imagine wind in his hair. Yeah, um, so you. everyone that subscribes on Patreon is part of our community. They help build the podcast, um, keep us on the air. We reserve our very best episodes for them. This month, we are taking a deep dive into the fall of Wilson Fisk, one of the best Daredevil stories ever told. The Kingpin shot and blinded by Maya Lopez kicking off a chain reaction of terrible events that wreak havoc on Hell's Kitchen, lead to the fall of the Kingpin, and forever change the life of Matt Murdock. Big deep dive. We're very excited for that one. And in March, movies are coming to Patreon. We're bringing full movie episodes to Patreon, starting in March, with a movie we both absolutely hate. We're going to be exploring some very interesting, different, and painful movies on Patreon. And we're starting with Zack Snyder, Batman versus Superman, <laughs> Dawn of Justice. Uh, oh, this is going to hurt. Yeah. This is going to hurt. I can't imagine what the production stuff is going to be like. Yeah. The behind, the, behind the page is going to be all about taking a classic comic that changed comics forever and ruining it. I mean... Yeah, uh, <laughs> what a what a plan we had. We thought you guys would really enjoy us doing some movies on Patreon, and then we realised you'd probably really enjoy it if we did controversial movies that hurt us to cover. I'm Exclusive to Patreon. It. I'm just looking at it now. Uh, Batman versus Superman has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 29%. There we go, folks. <laughs> you want to be here in March. Um, and, of course, you're experiencing probably experiencing adverts with us at the moment on these shows. Um, we have no choice because the pinch is coming for a lot of people. And, we're fortunately, we've had uh, people explain very, very explainable reasons why they have to remove their pledges from us in recent months. And it's because the cost of everything is going up. And we understand that. Um, so we've got some ads on the show to try and help out. But you're in luck because you can get early access and ad-free, just like Phoenix Phil did, by heading into us on Patreon. £5 a month gets you access ad-free, early access to every show. We also know times are tough, which is why... You can support us for just £3 a month. That's not even the cost of a Starbucks. It's not even the cost of a pint of beer anymore. One payment once a month, and it can really help us get going and stay on the air. And in exchange, you'll get access to Obscure Marvel. Each and every month, we dive into the trash cans of the Marvel Universe to bring you the most ridiculous and obscure stories and characters and moments in the history of Marvel. Will, I want to bring you in on this now. Okay. Because this month in February, we mm. looked at the very first appearance of the Green Goblin. <laughs> a classic Marvel character. Yep. How does he fit into obscure Marvel? Because what he does in his first appearance will never see the light of day in a Marvel movie ever. 
Um, how did you feel about the Green Goblin's plan in his first appearance? Oh boy, it's a stupid plan. It actually <laughs> angered me. It was so ridiculous. It did. It's, it's yeah. one of those things where it's just like, why don't you just take him into an alley and punch him? Just, 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 just deck him in the street. And it's no, it's, it's the most convoluted plan ever. Terrible. So sometimes we look at obscure characters and, and, and sometimes we look at really weird, wild stories and, and stuff. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. Everyone get access to that if you're with us on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Content, guys, is a really... The stuff we enjoy now is so much different from how it used to be with television, movies. It's so much different. So much of it is podcasts or YouTube shows. And so much of it, you know... We're not a major, major, major show that, that that can break in loads of money and keep going forever and pays me and Will enough that we don't have to take jobs and do our work on the... You know, we have to really fit this in where we can. And it demands pain. <laughs> it demands sweat and toil from us. And we love doing it, but we have to find a way to make it work. Uh, at the moment, we're trying out ads. Whether that's going to work or not, we don't know. But we really need your support on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel if you love content like this and you listen to us all the time don't let us go dark don't let us walk away stay with us and on the other side of this break we'll bring you the deep dive into echo 